You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. Today we're going to talk about uh, miracles. We're continuing on with our series entitled Miracles. And today I want to talk to you about the miracle of the widow. Uh, so everybody has their favorites, I'm sure, when you read your Bible. Uh, when we were in college, the guy that we preached there a lot, his favorite was the, you know, when I say the favorite, it sounds weird, but your favorite story, your favorite miracle story that you read about in the Bible, right? His favorite one was the woman with the issue of blood. And he loved it. He had this old low Texas drawn out accent. He's, he'd preach like, you know, kind of old school. Like, oh, and when she touched the hem of her garment, you know, he's like old school, man. He loved any time he could preach like, oh, I got to preach on this one minute. You know, he just let it rip. And we all was like, oh, just shut the Bible because it is here we go. You know, you'd heard it so many times, you knew what's going to happen. It's like, you know, but it was great. Every time it was great. It was a great message. But this is one of my favorite um, uh, miracles in the Bible. I'm not doing these because they're my favorite. I'm doing the ones I feel the Lord's led me to, to minister on. So this is the one about the widow in 2 Kings 4. And so if you ever read this story, it's very interesting. I want to say a couple things before I get into this. I want to read the text, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. First of all, I want to tell you this, that miracles still happen today. You First of all, you need to understand that before you actually read the Bible. Because if you don't believe that miracles happen, then how do you explain your salvation? See, it's a very interesting thing. Religion will tell you, well, that's done away with. This is old. This is no longer appropriate today. But I would just say, well, then if you cast away certain things like that in the Bible, then you would have to go back all the way to salvation and Calvary and say, then how did he resurrect him from the dead? And how did we get that miracle? Because if I can't get this miracle, then why would I expect to get that miracle? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's all miracles. Everything about God is a miracle. But God uses many times things that we don't think about in order to work miracles. And so this text out of 2 Kings 4, I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to break it down a little bit, okay? But this is the widow in 2 Kings 4, verse 1. It says, Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now, she's a widow. Listen to what it says. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know. Well, she's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know. I just want to let you know right now. You know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. What that means is, in their culture, it's very common. You said, I would pay this much, I will take this credit on, and if I can't pay, then we will work the debt off. That's the way the culture was. So the creditor is now going to come take her sons. Obviously, they're old enough to work. Just catch that. They ain't going to come take you know, a two-year-old. What are they going to do for him? It's gonna, you know, he's got to put money into that one. There's obviously, he sees some value in them. Verse 2, so Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? So interesting enough, what shall I do for you? And then he goes on, he says, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, I don't know if it was like some Mary Kay or maybe with some cold cream, some I don't know what it was that she had. Maybe with some olive oil. I'm assuming from the, but whatever it is, it was something that she had in her own house. And he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all of your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and she shut the door behind her and her sons and they were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, one son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, one son, 
It's not plural, just one guy there. There is not one vessel more, and the oil stopped. So then she came and she told the man of God, and he said, Well, go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons, plural, can live on the rest. A couple of thoughts here. First of all, you need to understand that she's a widow. Therefore, God has a special heart for widows. And so should we. You understand that when you see someone who is all of a sudden their life has shifted because a spouse has gone and it's affected them in a major way, we should all take notice and see, what can I do? Is there anything you need? How can I help you? My question is, if God cares so much about the widows, and there wasn't a famine in the land, by the, and according to based on the scripture, this is not the one where there's a famine. It's just an average week. Where was the rest of the group? Because the Bible says it was a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. So she obviously was in a ministry group, it seems like. There's a, basically some ministry friends, some people, some maybe a smaller, whatever. Where was the people? Her friends. Didn't anyone come along and say, hey, I can mow your grass for you? I mean, man, do you need something? You guys need some food? How can I help you? Anything I can do just to help? Is there anything I can do to help you, right? But apparently no one showed up. No one ever knocked on the door because this woman has nothing but a small bottle of oil. Now, when you keep reading, you think, well, that's kind of odd. It's so bad that now the creditors are coming to take her sons. And she is saying to the prophet, I'm a widow. We're a part of a ministerial alliance, and no one has shown up to help us, and you know my husband was a good man. That's basically what she's saying to the prophet. Now, here's something just to think about when it comes to miracles. If you've never been in this situation before, when you need God to come through for you, the last thing you need to do is be pointing out who hasn't come through for you, what someone didn't do for you, and why they still aren't there. Because if God is the one going to do the miracle, there's no sense in pointing fingers at other people. They're not your source anyway. Right? But isn't it funny? Now, you look at me all Christian-like if you want to, but isn't it funny how we've all done it? Isn't it true? We've all done it before. We've all said, well, man, you know, they didn't even say anything today. I'm going through this. They didn't even pray for me. Well, they know I'm dealing with all this. Well, maybe they don't. And even if they did, are they really the ones that's going to limit what God can do? You can't get frustrated with people who don't move on your behalf. God's the one moving on your behalf. That's where our focus has to stay. And... We need this attitude that says, God is going to come through for me. The very interesting thing about this, you know, you, you don't have to just, maybe it's your neighbor, okay? He's like, this is you. That's fine. We'll talk about your neighbor this morning, okay? But when Peter was with Jesus, do you remember the rich young rule that showed up? He was asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus broke down the Ten Commandments for him. And he gave him all these different things. Well, this is what you ought to do, to, to live holy and those kind of things. He said, I've done every one of these things since my youth. Kind of a proud guy. He's got money. He's proud, you know, that kind of thing. And then Jesus will sell everything you've gotten and go help the poor. He left because he couldn't handle that. But right after that, instead of picking on the, we, you know, we pick on the rich young ruler, but watch this. Here comes Peter. Listen to what Peter said. Luke 18. Peter said, uh, Jesus, verse 28. Behold. Behold. I don't know if you thought about this, but behold, we've left everything, our homes, my truck, 
I left, you know, the coffee shop in Capernaum there. I left all that to come follow you. You know, and it's not easy. No, no, no. Luke did a great job of just summarizing, but you know, Peter broke it down. Like, you know, it's not been easy, Jesus. It really had not been easy. I'm getting calls back home. The kids need new shoes and all. I'm following you all over the world. You know, we've left everything. And so Jesus says, you know what? Truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or kids for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. He was reminding Peter, hey, look, man, get your eyes off other people. Get your eyes off what somebody else didn't do for you and get your eyes back on me. I'm the one that comes through for you. And if you feel like maybe God has failed you or maybe he's not come through for you, if you feel like this morning, maybe he's forgotten you. I would just challenge every one of us in this room this morning to dig deep again and remember it is the Lord who provides. If you need a miracle, it is God who comes through. It is not man. He might use a man. He might use resources in this earth, and many times he does. I mean, God doesn't counterfeit money. You understand that? He doesn't doesn't have a money press up in heaven and just, you know, start sending it down. That's not how it works. He uses channels in this earth. Maybe businesses, other people, organizations, resources, whatever. But God uses methods that are natural many times to bring miracles across. He's not manufacturing things. You know, he doesn't have things up in heaven. Maybe God comes through, through, for you through in, in different ways, through medical reasons, at, at a hospital or something like that. Maybe God comes through you with a, an advancement in medicine that, that he gave someone. That's fine too. Maybe he gives you something completely that's supernatural. That's fine and that's well. But when it comes to providing something for you in this case, many times a financial need. God is not just sending it from heaven and floating that money right down to your house. It doesn't come like that. He uses channels. And this is what the widow forgot about. So I want to give you a couple of thoughts about this. I always go back to this whenever I look at things and I need God to move in my life. These are some of the questions I always ask myself because this is what Elijah asked her. So in 2 Kings 4.2, the question he said is, what do you have? What do you have? So how many times we like to think about what we don't have? Isn't it true? If I were to ask you today, give me, tell me the things that you have in your life, I bet you anything it would be difficult because it's easier to ask you, what do you not have that you'd like? Oh, how much time do you got? Let me just... Because we're so focused on what we don't have instead of what we do have. But Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, nothing. Well, except for a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself, your neighbors. Even empty vessels do not get a few. We often overlook what we don't have because, or what we do have because of what we you know, don't have. And if we focus on the lack Many times we miss the opportunity for God to come through for you, for God to come through for me. How many times have you overlooked something that was in your house by looking at what was in someone else's house? That's why we can't covet our neighbor's goods. Because it's easy to say, well, I mean, you know, those other people in my ministerial club, those prophets and all the kind of, that family, they could have come helped us, but they didn't. And all I got is a pot of oil. Well, wouldn't it be better to think, well, you know what, we've got, a, we've got a jar of oil. What can we do with this? See the difference in the mindset. But many times, many times, God uses natural things to bring about miracles. The wedding at Cana, there was not one thing 
that God did in that case, that Jesus did, that was supernatural with the exception of turning water into wine. Everything else was completely natural. Whatever he says to you do, do it. Well, he wants us to go and get water out of these pots. They're like for washing. That's gross. Like if I knew about that miracle, I'd have to say time out, time out, time out, time out. Time out, Jesus. Now these are the ones we use for washing. Like everybody's washed their hands in it. Everybody picked their nails. Seems kind of gross. Let's go get some other water, right? Like some bottled water down here at the store. Let's go. Can we get you some of that? Turn that into wine. I would not have wanted to know how he had made that happen. But, you know, okay, if he turned it into wine, I guess he sterilized it too, I guess. Whatever. But it's all natural. Water pots, the water's there. They dip it out and they take it and it turns to There's not one thing that those humans did well, on their part that was difficult. It was simply obedience. It was simply obedience. If you think about other cases in the Bible, the five loaves and the two fishes. You know, the little boy has a little lunch. He brings the leftovers maybe from home. I don't know where he, you know, maybe went fishing that day. He had some bread. And Jesus says, hey, look, we're going to feed all these people here today. Imagine if Jesus came in and said, we're going to feed all you. And all we had was a few pieces of bread and two fish. You would think it's not possible unless everybody gets a crumb. It's gonna, he's going to feed 5,000. How's that possible? Everything is natural on their part. Everything is supernatural on his. He says to them, we're going to feed them, make them sit down. They organize them in groups. Why? Because it's a little bit difficult to manage 5,000, break them down in small groups, right? Hence why you ought to be in a small. <laughs> Just saying. You can get lost in a crowd, but if you're in a group of 50, it's kind of easy to notice when you need something. Let that sink in for a moment. See, many times we want something supernatural from God, but sometimes it's the very natural thing that he says you need is where the avenue comes through at. God, why are you coming through for me? Maybe no one knows you need anything because you're not in any relationship at all in the church. It's possible. Because, like, I don't know about you, but we're not sitting around all the time going like, Lord, who in our church needeth all the help? Oh, and go find you. That's not how it works. Every now and then it does. Every now and then God will prompt me and I'll get that. Every, but it doesn't happen every day. Most of the time, people are helped. You know how? Through smaller relationships. Why do you think Jesus said break them down into smaller groups? But everything was natural. Except for the miracle. What, what, it was not on them. It was on Jesus. They just simply obeyed. Everything else was on God. You think about Moses. And all the things that he did, we like to talk about Moses and all the miracles. Do you know everything that he did was simply a natural move of obedience? Take the staff in your hand. This one? Shouldn't I get another one? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm going to see Pharaoh. Don't I need two? Maybe a club would do, you know? No, a staff, Moses, a staff. Throw it down on the floor. That's all we're going to do. That's what you got. Shouldn't we send in some angels, some heaven's armies? Like, i got to bring in a stick. Everything that Moses did, the crossing of the Red Sea, the greatest miracle probably recorded in, in the Old Testament there, he did it by simply holding that staff out like God told him to do. But God performed the miracle. Isn't it true, though, 
that many times we overlook what we have in our house because we're looking for something bigger. But God doesn't need bigger. He can use what you have in your house to do big and great things. Absolutely can. And I love how he tells, the prophet says to her, go and borrow what you need, not purchase what you need. Isn't it funny how, like, you know, we think, well, I need to go buy this to do that. Maybe God could accomplish something in your life by simply borrowing it for a little while. Maybe you could rent it, whatever. Maybe you're, man, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I need this tool or I need this thing or I need whatever, but you don't have it. Well, many times your neighbor probably has one. And you know what? Don't be too prideful to ask to borrow. Maybe they say no. You know, I mean, if you ask to borrow a toothbrush, they're probably going to say no. But if you ask, like, hey, could, could I borrow your truck? If you went with me, you drive, but could I, I've got to pick up this thing for my kids. Could I, could I borrow? Could I borrow this? Could I? And, you know, I know we don't like to talk about things. We're so independent as Americans we are. We'll buy everything and all and use it once in our lifetime. But there's nothing wrong with asking someone for a little bit of help. But just make sure you ask the right person. Because if you ask the wrong person and you're asking God to do something for you in your life, sometimes the wrong people will talk you out of stuff. Here's the next thing I want you to see out of this text. that He asks, you know, this simple question. I'll ask this question, but this is the the context of 2 Kings 4.4. The question is, who do you need in this season around you? He says this to him in 2 Kings 4.4. He says, you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons. You and your sons, plural, your sons. And pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him, the prophet, and she shut the door behind her and her sons. Both of them were there at the time. And they were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. Funny thing, I I love this story because he says, go in and shut the door behind you. Here's a thought. If all those people weren't there, if they didn't notice she was in need before, right? All her buddies and all her friends, she was in the ministry of the prophets or whatever, man. They should have, you know. Had a prophetic word, you know, like, hey, she's in need. They didn't have any of that, right? If none of those people around to help her, then why would she ask them to come now? Because I got to be honest with you. There's some people, if you need a miracle from God, you don't need them around you. Because they'll talk you out of it. They will absolutely talk you out of God doing anything except for salvation. Oh, he'll, he'll save you left and right, man, a hundred times over. But don't dare ask God to move anything else. Because, my Lord, he's got a lot on his mind or he's busy or whatever. I don't know what the thing is. Don't ever ask God for anything more than that. You just have what you got and go through it. That's not, that's not God. God doesn't mind us asking for things. And here's the thing that I love the most. Here's the thing I, I mean, I don't love it. It's the thing that drives me nuts the most. Have you ever noticed that when you're in need of a miracle, it's always the people who don't need a miracle that try to talk you out of your miracle. You ever notice that? Like when you really need God to move, you're like, man, I really, whew, you know, I need God to move in my life right now. I got some stuff going on, my family, my life, my job. It's really difficult right now. Here comes along, you know, your buddy who everything's going great for them. Hey, how are you? Well, you know, I just need God to move. I'm like, oh, you know what? You know, I'm not sure God really does all that now. You know what I mean? It's just really, you know, maybe some of that stuff's been done away with. That's in the Bible, I know. But, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, because, yeah, because all your stuff's going great. That's why you say that crazy stuff. But let them need something from God and watch them change their theology. They'll change in a heartbeat. 
They'll change churches, man, for anybody to pray for them to get God to move on their life. They don't care. Because when you need a miracle, all that other mess of garbage and religion goes out the door. Isn't it true? Have you ever had it? Well, brother, maybe God's just trying to teach you. So, hey, lay, hey, time out. Yo, I don't teach my kids that way. If they're hungry, do I hold back food? No. Them rascals eat a lot. I keep feeding them. I go, what? <laughs> How can you eat so much? I don't sit back and go, you know what? I'm going to teach you something. You know, I know you're four, but I'm going to teach you something. <laughs> you're not going to eat a lunch for a whole week. Huh? Yeah, deal with that. My four-year-old, who does that? And it's a bad representation of God to say that he would do that. Jesus clearly explains this. If your son was hungry, would you not give him bread? Would you really give him a rock and say, go have a good day? He does not do that. God wants to bless you. But I'm telling you, get around the wrong people, and they'll talk you out of it. And the reason they always say that you can't do something is because they don't ever do anything. So you got to investigate your circle and ask yourself, what have they actually accomplished? How many times has God come through for them? Get some testimonies and see. And if they're saying you can't, I'd shut the door. Be nice, but just shut the door behind and say, thank you. I mean, listen, I've had to delete some people from my phone. I can't handle that stuff anymore. They'll say, hey, I'm just praying for you, and they'll say something like, ugh, I don't need that prayer. I got enough of that going on in my life without prayer. Just delete that. Block. <laughs> hey, did you get my message? No, I didn't. What did you say? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but listen, I don't know about you, but there's enough negativity in my world that goes on around me. I don't need it from Christians. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, yeah, we'll move on. So here's a thought. People who are filled with doubt will never help you fill your jars. Never. Don't ask them to. They'll always question, why are you doing it? Why? Why? Well, why? Well, why? Man, because listen... I need a miracle, all right? That's why. What do you mean, why? No, because they're not engaged. They don't understand. If they're feeling you full of doubt, you got to shut the door behind them. And some people always, they fill you up with faith, and some people always fill you up with fear. But listen to what James says. James chapter 1, verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, that would be all of us at some point. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. One translation says liberally. We know what that word means because of our culture. Liberally, okay? That means way more than you need. We're gonna, it's, God wants to bless. He's not withholding. He's got more than enough to help his kids. But he says, and it'll be given to him. Verse 6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. This is why it's important to get people around you who believe God can. Because if you have a double-minded person around you, they will affect your belief. To be double-minded, it simply means this, two-spirited. I mean, one person can have a spirit of faith and pray for you, and you feel like, man... I am ready to roll. I'm going to take the mountain, you know, lions, tigers, bears, doesn't matter. I'm ready. You feel like Mel Gibson and like the Patriot or Braveheart or something. You're ready to roll. Get around another person that you know. 
They say, oh, you know, I just don't know that God really is going to do that for you. I just think maybe he's trying to help you learn how to be humble or whatever garbage they come up with. You go back to this person, oh, I'm ready, you know, get back around this person. I don't know, I don't know if I can or I can't. And what are you doing? Watch this. It's like the winds and the waves of the sea. Well, yeah, I can. I don't know if you know. Yeah, I can. I don't know. I just don't know. And but eventually what happens is you stop going back and forth and you get stuck in the middle. And you go like, well, I don't know. And you start worrying about the situation. Because a two-spirited person can't be moving forward, they even move forward in this or move forward in that, but two-spirited, it gets you stuck in the middle. And this is why I was talking to my kids of the day. One of them was, the little one, she was saying something about, <clears throat> I was some kid at school, I don't remember what it was. She's worried about something. This kid fell down, skinned his knee. You know how it is with four-year-olds. It's like everything's major, you know. They skinned her little knee, and it was a ordeal. Oh, no, no, it was one of our friends had to go to the hospital. It was a big deal, actually. It was an allergy. That's why she said it. I was thinking it was a skinned knee. It was actually a pretty big deal. And, uh, so they had to go to the ER because of an allergy. It's a big deal, actually. And so she goes, Daddy, I'm really worried. And she's four. Daddy, I'm, I'm really worried about him. I'm really worried about him. I said, honey, worrying about him is not going to fix a thing. You need to pray for him. She goes, that's right. We need to pray for him. I said, would you like to pray for him? Yes, I'm going to pray for him. Jesus. Like, I don't know where she gets the stuff from. Jesus, would you please help him? And she's like, and what was his name? And help him. And she kept calling him Taylor. His name wasn't even Taylor. You know, she kept calling him Taylor. And then she prayed for him, praying that he would be better and that he'd get better and, you know, get rid of his allergies and all this kind of stuff. And so my point is worry will get you stuck in something. That's why the Bible says do not worry about anything. But pray about everything. That's what not the big stuff only, man. The little stuff. The stuff that drives you crazy at night. You're going, man, I just don't understand. That stop. I'm gonna pray about that. I may not understand why, but Jesus, I pray right now for this situation in my life. You get ready to go back to bed or you're driving on the road, whatever. I just I don't understand why I'm gonna, what am I gonna do? No, I'm gonna pray about it. Oh, Jesus, I pray right. The more you pray about it, the less you worry about it. Because if you don't pray, you will worry. It's a default mechanism in your brain. Because your brain was created by God to figure stuff out. That's why you worry when you can't figure it out. That's why the Bible says pray about it. Because if you don't, you're going to be unstable. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's difficult at all to see from God like that. And the last thing I want to show you from this is interesting to me. And uh, I'll close out with this about her son's. And it's this, and I ask the question of this, you know, what is your limit? Like, do you know what your max is? Do you know what your cap is? You got to know what's in your house. You need to get around the right people. God wants to do some stuff in your life. I don't know if you noticed this, but Jesus had 12 disciples. And you know what? He didn't, Judas wasn't in his inner circle, if you didn't notice that, you know, first of all. But he was very aware of what Judas was doing. You think Jesus didn't know what was going on? How he was conflicted? What he was doing with the money box? Jesus knew all that. But he didn't let Judas in on his inner circle. He didn't let some of the other guys in on his Why? Because he didn't, even when it got time where he really needed strength from God, strong strength in the garden, he left them over here to pray, and he went over here. Because it really matters who is close to you. 
They affect what you believe. But the last thing I think is interesting about this story in 2 Kings 4, 6 is what is your limit? Do you, do you have, whatever's in your house, do you know what you can do with it? And so verse 6 says, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, single, not sons, where'd the other son go? Like, he's not here. Just keep reading. He's gone. She says to her son, and it's not a typo. It is what it is. She says, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, he said, not they said, he said to her, there's not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. So then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons, plural, can live on the rest. A very interesting thing to me. I'll get into it just here in a moment, but... I don't know if the guy, if the other son, maybe he just was like, you know, this is crazy. I'm out. I'm just, what are you going to do? What? We're going to borrow. Do you know how foolish I'm going to look? I'm going to go next door to my neighbor, go see Jim. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Hey, man. Uh, what's up? I, I, yeah, mama, you know, mama, you know how mama is. You know how she is, man. She's the prophet's next door. He needs a couple of bottles. You know, we're going to, you know what's going on, right? What are you going to do with the bottles? Well, I don't know, really, but we just need to. I think maybe the other son is like, man, the first house, that was crazy. I'm not going to go to the next house and say the same thing. But maybe that was it. Maybe he just checked. I don't know what happened to this other son. He's not here. He's not in the story. He's not being talked about here. But I think sometimes... We can limit God and what he wants to do because we don't look ahead. When he said to her, woman, what do you have in her house? First thing she said was nothing. The second thing she said, well, I do have a jar of oil. Anyone can run out of jars, anyone. But I really think might be what happened is what if one of the sons said, I can't do this. This is crazy. I can't believe we're going to go and borrow. Come on, man, are we really going to do this? Mom's lost her mind. That preacher, you know, he shows up and. Go get some empty bottles. Come on, are we really going to do this? And I think the one son said, yeah, because he believed it. I think the other son might have said, man, come on, this is crazy. You do what you got to do. I'm going to get some bottles because I'm tired of like, we got nothing left. And I think maybe what happened was maybe one son got the bottles and the other son checked out because he looks to him and says, are there any more? wonder what would have happened if the other son would have jumped on and said, I see what God might do in our lives. Let's go prepare. Let's get some more jars. Because it ain't going to cost us anything. We're going to borrow the jars anyway. Let's just go get some more. Because what if God filled them up? I look kind of like a fool if I only borrowed three and the oil stops. I could have borrowed 300. Do you see what I'm saying? I think one son just kind of checked out. And I think sometimes God wants to do more, but we don't look ahead We don't really think that he can actually do things, so we limit him by saying, I'll get two jars instead of 20. When it didn't cost us anything to believe and trust him. And I think also we sometimes limit God and what he wants to do because of our participation. Obviously, I think they must have relied on what came in by alms and giving and helping the poor. But here's a thought. If these boys can go borrow vessels, could they not have gotten a job? Just a thought. Just a thought. I don't know if it was, because it's not the famine. This is not the famine story. This ain't the story where they're struggling with. You know, 
He could have went to work at like, you know, McDonald's, something. There's something where he could have got a job and helped mama out. But apparently, they must have been just living off mama. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. Either one of them could have went out and done some work. But again, maybe they didn't. And another thought is, where is this other son? He just checked out. The other thought I had about this, we can limit God sometimes because of our thinking. The interesting deal with this verse is when they filled up these pots and these vessels, you know, it just depends on how you're brought up, okay? I grew up with a guy who he had businesses, he was in sales. I mean, like, he just, he thought differently, you know? I mean, my granddad was just, he's just a different, different guy. And it just depends on how you, what you grew up around. If you grew up around and all you hear is you can't do it, it won't happen, you'll never make it, it's going to be very difficult to break that thinking without God. Matter of fact, I would say you probably can't break it without God. But if you get around somebody, you grow up around something, they say, yeah, you can do it, get after it, go, let's go make something happen. The danger in that sometimes is you'll get after and do stuff and you'll forget about God. You know, because you think you're doing it on your own. But either way... Sometimes our thinking messes up what God wants to do. There's times when God wants to move, and our thinking says, well, I just don't know. I don't know if he, I just don't, I just don't know. They said, here's the vessels. They bring all this stuff. They fill up all these vessels. I don't know how many they had. Maybe they had 20, 30, 40, 50 of these little bottles of oil. And they're looking around, and here's the thing. You got all this oil, and you have to understand their culture. They knew what this meant. Besides, we don't understand this. You go to Walmart. There's 20 different oils. There's olive oil and whatever, avocado oil, Wesson, Crisco, whatever you pick, okay? We look at it and say, well, it's eight bucks for a bottle of oil. That seems kind of pricey. That won't get you anywhere. In their culture, olive oil was very, very precious, especially if it was, you know, you get the cold-pressed or whatever and stuff. All of it was cold-pressed, man. You know, it was, it was a very expensive, if you will, and I don't know how many bottles they have, but they're all sitting around this room. There's bottles everywhere filled with oil. And this is the question they say. Hey, preacher, what do we do with all this oil? What are we going to do now? After they just saw a miracle. Isn't it funny how God can come through for you? And even after a miracle, your thinking can still throw off something else. The miracle's not over. The miracle happened, but there's another step. And watch this. God's not going to do this step for him. That's why I said many times we overlook these natural, simple things that God is doing because we want to see God just, oh, wow, he met my need. That's amazing. And sometimes he's saying, I'll do something with you, but there's stuff in your house I could work with. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a gift set. Maybe it's a gifting. Maybe there's something you could make, sell. Maybe there's something you could do on the side, whatever. But God is saying, hey, man, I'm going to do something, but i got to have partnership. And they say, preacher, what are we going to do all this oil? And he looks at him. i got a feeling like this preacher probably looked at him like the prophet, like, are you kidding me? What do you think you're going to do with it? You ain't going to eat it all? You go sell it, you knothead boy. Go get out of here. Get out of here, boy. That's what I feel like it's what Come on, man. What do you mean you're going to sell it? Isn't it funny how God sometimes can come through for you? Come through financially, help you in your areas of life and need. Make provision for you. Isn't it funny? And sometimes we can have the opportunity right around us, 
and not have the thought process of what to do with it when we get it. This is why I'm convinced. I'm convinced of this thing. When Jesus says, if you're not faithful in the little, I will not make you a ruler over that which is great. If you're faithful in the small things, I will make you a ruler over greater responsibilities. But here's the thing. Somebody comes up to you and you're on your job and you're praying for God to come through and promotion or finance or whatever, anything. And somebody says, hey, I want you to take on this new responsibility on the job. And you say, oh, man, I don't need any more responsibility. I can't do that. I don't have the education for that. I didn't sign up for that. You might have just missed your provisional miracle. God might have just been setting some stuff up for you. I remember years ago, man, this happened to me. I mean, it's going back when I was in high school, man. I had an opportunity then to learn how to lead stuff, how to manage stuff, how to understand cash flow and profit and loss, all this stuff. I had an opportunity to be a manager when I was young. You know what I did? I turned it down. You know why? Because I thought, oh, I'm not going to do that. First of all, I'm making about what the manager makes. I ain't going to do that. It's more responsibility. I don't want to deal with that. I don't have the headaches of management. I don't want to do that. You know what I did, though? Lost opportunity. Could learn some things then for free that I had to pay for later to learn. Why? Because we don't want the responsibility. But yet through that, God might be trying to provide a miracle. It is possible. So if it's our thinking that limits God, if you're at the place right now where maybe God's trying to provide something for you, maybe you got oil in the house, maybe you got bottles on the floor, you don't know what to do with it. What am I going to do next? If your thinking is being affected by what God wants to do in your life, listen to this. And how can we change our thinking? Romans 12, 2. You may have heard this verse before, but I'll close with this last verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to the world, because what does the world do? The world freaks out. The world says, oh, ah, Trump's president, ah! Last time it was Barack Obama. Oh, Obama's president. Oh, it's, the, it's the Antichrist. Now we got the whatever he is. I mean, it's crazy to me what people, oh, we freak out. Oh, there's a bomb over there. Oh. That's what the world does. The world freaks out. Christians are supposed to steady ourselves, have peace. And then he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Last thing I'll say with this, and I'll ask our worship team to come up. I want, I want to be very clear on this because this is often overlooked in Christianity. This is something where you can't pray enough for this. Watch me very carefully here. If you pray that God will change your mind about something, you're wasting your prayers. What? My prayers? I can't... I thought my prayers, I thought God heard. He does hear you when you pray, when you pray. But he's probably saying sometimes, hey, that ain't going to work. But we don't listen. If you pray and say, God, I want you to change my mind about some things. He doesn't do it. Now, you can pray things like, God, will you help me with my heart? God, will you help me in my heart? This? I'm having a difficult time accepting your word when it says I should forgive this person. They hurt me. Will you help me, God? do this. I'm going to forgive them, but God, I'm having a difficult time in my heart. But if you pray and say, God, will you change my mind about something? He doesn't change your mind. You know why he doesn't change your mind? Because his word says, if you want your mind to change, it comes from 
the renewing of your mind. Be ye therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You take God's word and you renew your mind with God's word. That's why the Bible says this, faith comes by hearing and a whole lot of praying. Come on, if you've read your Bible, if you know that, it's not, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say faith comes by a whole lot of praying and we do some praying. We're going to pray here in a moment. We're going to pray for you. But to pray to change your mind isn't going to work. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word, the more you read God's word, the more you accept God's word, it transforms your thinking. You don't think the same anymore. But if you never read God's Word, that's why we started in the Read Your Bible in a Year. Simple, simple, just a couple of chapters a day. Very easy. Anybody can do this. Those verses will transform your thinking over a year's time. You will look back and go, wait a minute, I don't, I don't even pray. You'll get kind of, oh, thinking different. And it's kind of nice. It changes you transforms your mind. You can pray for all kinds of other things. But our thinking, our thinking is transformed by God's Word. So this morning, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for a couple of things. I want to pray, first of all, for our limitations. If you're here, and maybe you have some limitations in your life, and you're thinking, man, I just don't know if I have the education. I want God to come through for me. I need God to break through for me. I need a financial thing. I need something God to provision for me in some area. But I don't feel like I have the education to do the next step. Or maybe I don't feel like I'm qualified for something. Or maybe I just feel like, you know, I'm just not the best person for something. I want to pray for us. And I'm going to pray for salvation in a moment. But I want to pray if you're here and you need a miracle in this area, you need God to provide for you in something. I want to pray that first of all, you take the limits off God. Take the limits off yourself. God uses ordinary humans to do amazing things all throughout the Bible and throughout his earth today. So just right here, I want you to close your eyes, bow your head just for a moment. And just, I want you to think about whatever it is in your heart. You say, man, God, I feel limited in this area. If you feel like, man, the enemy's come at you and said, you know what, you're not qualified. God can't use you or, or some other lie that he's given you. I want you to take that right now and we're going to pray and ask God to break that off first of all. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and we ask you, Father, to God take the limitations off of our life. God, for any kind of hurt that's been buried somewhere deep in our soul, any kind of thing that tells us from the enemy that we're not good enough or we can't do it or maybe we don't have the education or whatever the enemy has lied about to us to the point that we have just accepted that. In Jesus' name, we just break that off of every one of us in this room. And God, we ask you right now, Lord, to teach us by your word how to have a spirit of faith. God, this week I pray that you give verses to everybody in this room, Lord, that addresses the need that they have. That, God, they would see, Lord, that you have created them as a person of faith. They can believe you. They can trust you. And, God, you can do a great work in their life. Whatever miracle they need right now, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you work natural along with supernatural. Whatever supernatural need they think they have, 
I pray in Jesus' name they would not overlook the natural means by which you work so many times. And God, I pray whatever that is, God, you just show it to them. Whatever's in their house, whatever they have, whatever you need to work with, God, I pray you'd reveal to them this week. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you today, I pray that they would accept you right now as we pray this prayer. So the whole church is going to pray with you right now with your eyes closed. If you're here, you say, Pastor Jody, I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I don't know that I've been saved. I know I've never been water baptized. I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, but I need to pray this prayer today. I need to get my heart right with God. We're all going to pray this prayer together. And if that's you, just pray along with us right now and say, Dear Jesus, I come before you and I give you my life. I give you my heart. And I ask you, Jesus, to save me, to forgive me, and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I accept you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, I make you Lord of my life. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.